Hello, and welcome to Untethered, a safe space where you will learn how to educate and empower yourself around your abundance, sovereignty, and finances, and maybe a few other areas while we're at it. I'm Abby Rose. And I'm Claudine Jane. Together, we are here to create community, share experiences, and grow as a collective without limitations. Now is the time to break down barriers, challenge conventions, and discover a higher purpose and legacy. So grab a cuppa and come and join us as we delve deeper into your infinite potential. Welcome, welcome to, to our, our community, community and, and welcome, welcome to Untethered. Hi, Untethered. It is Abby Rose here with no Claudine today. So I decided to get a very special guest. Olivia Ward, uh, Australia's number one property coach, all things creating additional revenue streams, exiting the matrix, exit the matrix, exit the matrix. There's many ways you can exit the matrix, right? Yeah. Yeah. Someone once asked me, what is the matrix? And I just said, for me personally, the matrix is the lie of being told yeah. to swap our time for money. That's the biggest thing. So for me, my number one value being freedom, right? Which I think a lot of people will relate a to. A lot of people relate to. It's just like, oh, I just happen to have found the vehicle for me to get me free and my family free that is achievable for the average Australian was building passive income streams through property. Right. That's it. So I, I say that there's two ways to build passive revenue and only two ways, right? Mm -hmm. Business and property. And the business can be your own or it can be dividends, shares, others, other investing. businesses, investing, right? So, but I'm more passionate about creating revenue streams, passive income through business. Live is passive income through property. Yep. So imagine if you actually had passive income through both. Well, that's the whole thing of what Robert Kiyosaki teaches in his cash flow quadrant, right? It's the two, the two buckets on the right-hand side of the quadrant, which is where people make a lot of money, is where big business owner <laughs> or being an investor. Simple. So imagine being in both buckets. And that's what I'm trying to help people achieve as well. And so is Abby. So yeah. just using two different vehicles to get the same outcome. Yeah. Mm. So our values align. We believe the same thing about the matrix exiting the matrix, swapping time for money, freedom, mm -hmm. core values, mm -hmm. truth. Truth. Amen. Oh, <laughs> that's the reason why I became a coach. Oh. Right? Mm. Because in your industry, let's talk about some of the common, tr like the common lies. Mm. You know, okay. Bust. Bust some myths. Bust some myths. Number one is that you have to be rich. Um, or you have to have a high income. So we're going to talk about that today specifically for business owners because that's been a common thread, a common question Ooh. recently. Is like, oh my God, my accountant or my broker tells me I have to pay, I have to pay myself so much to be able to build a property portfolio. Actually, you don't. So number one is that people think you have to earn a lot of money and pay yourself a lot of money. You don't. Another myth, very common myth, is living in your first home. So this is very, very critical for especially um, millennials trying to get into the market, we've been sold a lie that like you should be buying and living in the first house that you own. Um, and it's just, it is the slowest way to actually building wealth is living in a home that you own because yeah. the home that you own, it is not income producing. Quote from Robert Kiyosaki is your home is, um, your home is actually a liability. It's not an asset. Because the definition of something that is an asset is something that produces income. If you live in that house, does it produce income? No, it doesn't. Even if it's paid off, you still got water rates, counter rates. From I know I've always, as an accountant, said to people, you know, 
principal place of residence, you mm. might not have capital gains, but you're not you're not making any money off of that. Yeah. So you got to work out like how much money are you actually going to make off revenue producing asset? Yeah. Then you know saving um, some capital gains for a primary place. Yeah. You know because that's I think when you bring the tax into it, everyone thinks oh, but there's no capital gains on on your, home. Home, on yeah. your home. Of course, there's not. But when you actually work out the actual capital gains figure mm-hmm. at the end of the day, mm-hmm. it's really not that much. Mm. Well, depending on the property, of course, but mm. it's more beneficial for you to have a home or to have a property where it's producing that revenue over, mm-hmm. you know, the life mm. and the capital gains is still not going to be more than what the revenue you've received. Yep. Amen. You know what? And I don't even focus on that anyway, because I teach personally, I teach people to never have to sell property because if you've got a cash flowing assets, why would you want to sell it anyway? If it's cash flowing and providing you the lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So depends on, again, it comes back to your values, right? What are your values? Mm-hmm. Are your values that you want to own a home and um, you want to control the roof over your head? So whenever someone comes to me and says, Olivia, I want to buy my first house, where do I start? Now, I don't typically don't um, help first homeowners, mainly investors, right? But I say, well, why is it that you're actually wanting to invest to begin with? Is it yep. because you want to control the four walls that you live under because you're sick of renting and sick of having property managers come in and inspect your house? Or is it because you're actually doing it to make some sort of financial deci- smart decision, do something financially good with your money? Because if it's the latter, then like, I wouldn't be doing that at all. I would then be focusing on the less emotional thing and fully do doing investing. Ooh, ooh, ooh. And remember what we were talking about the other the mm. other day, like when you've got revenue revenue streams that you can manipulate in business yes. and in property, this is how you can go, oh, well, I'm just going to up the rents and now you've upped your annual revenue. Whereas when you're in um, swapping time for money yep. and... Um, you're in business models that belong to other people, then um, you're kind of constrained in your earning capacity. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you have the freedom when mm-hmm. you've got more more choice to move. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, having that, that additional revenue stream, I mean, you've, you've pricked my ears, right? Because I've always had very, um, I guess, conservative beliefs and ideas about property and I've mm. never had any desire to own a property it's just never been in me mm. until I met you right until I met I've you converted one converted right so then let's talk about how like private sector and yes, property let's talk about the two worlds. because I think this is really important to understand you know one of the number one questions that I get asked is can I buy property in the private Mm-hmm. Yeah, you absolutely can. You absolutely can. You are not hindered from buying property. Mm-hmm. But there is a bit of a hurdle because one of the biggest elements in property is lending. Right. And this is where I think sometimes spirit, source, universe mm-hmm. has brought us together mm-hmm. because we want to fucking crack that code, man. We're going to crack that fucking code. Yeah. Now, we haven't just yet. But when you move into the private sector, your revenue streams move into the private, which means they're self-assessed and tax exempt. And when you're going for lending, they use assessable income. So any revenue that you receive into the private sector is not assessable income. So you cannot use that to buy property in and go for lending, go for lending to buy property. So this is where hybrid models, I think, mm-hmm. can work. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're also, what are some of the other options that we're looking at? Okay, cool. So I'm just going to talk about the different types of things that came to my mind in terms of how can I have the best of both worlds. Mm-hmm. So for me, instantly, I thought, okay, I'm an active property investor. My number one goal of 
sorry, my number one tool to build wealth rapidly is leverage. You've got the Easy hybrid money. world, right? How do I then structure my business to be partly in this world, partly in that world, so I can get the best of both, right? So that's number one, a way around it. Yes. Number two, what I've also learned from Abby is if I am sitting within my mission and I am feeling more free um, being over in the private world, what, how does that alleviate my energy and my capacity to grow my business even more to the point where if I am able to make more because I'm over in the public world because I'm being fret, set free a little bit more and I have less restrictions because I now have my time back because maybe I don't have to do certain documentations. Um, so therefore, I'm optimizing my time to make more in my business. And I do also don't have these other things that I have to pay for that are holding me back. How does that help me expand my business? Where do I then uh, position that money? What's the return on that money and where am I going to put that? Because then the thing that I came to is I was like, hang on a second, I could then actually just make so much more money in my business. I can actually buy properties outright. So just to let you know, when I say buying properties outright, me and my team buy properties, average purchase price is between three hundred to $400,000. And they're properties in the top 1% suburbs for growth in Australia, where the rent's covering all of the expenses. And there's value add, there's three main buckets that I teach to be successful in property. So I'm like, okay, worst case scenario, I could actually just buy properties outright because I'll already be making so much more in my business anyway, right? So yes, I don't have the leverage, but then at least I'm making more, saving more over here. And yeah, I could actually, for the first time in my life, be considering, oh, it's actually possible for me to buy properties outright. Even using myself as an example, you know, I did a post yesterday, spaciousness breeds creativity and innovation. And this is what the private sector brings people. When you are free from the confines of obligations and compliance, you are then in, sitting in a space of spaciousness and able to create additional revenue streams within your business. And when you create these passive revenue streams without, within your business, you then generate more wealth. And when you generate more wealth, you then go, oh, well, what do I want to do with this wealth? Mm. And this is where I'm currently sitting at, right? Because I've generated so much wealth within, within my business, I'm now going, okay, I need to diversify. Because having cash in the bank is great, but it's got to a point where I'm like, hmm, let's put some of this into some assets. And this is where I can make the decision either to go into load or clones mm -hmm. um, through the public mm -hmm. um, oh, and, yeah, and run a hybrid, or we can look at private lending, um, or I can set myself another financial target and actually buy the property fucking outright. Yeah. Right. And, and, it, and it's like, imagine this, imagine like people think, oh, but I want this big property and it's 2.2 million and I'm never going to get that much money. And like, we'll start small. Mm. You know, Rome wasn't built in a day. Mm. What if you just bought a $300,000 property that was income producing and then you saved up for the next one and then you bought the next one and then you bought the next one. And I think, you know, when I look at my look at my numbers it's mm. absolutely possible mm -hmm. and that's because i've created the passive revenue streams to create the wealth within my business mm -hmm. and that's what the private sector provides you yeah let's talk about the brokering side actually as yes. well um 
but I'm going to come back to that in a minute. So say for, let's do an example, right? Okay. Say for example, uh, before I had, uh, let's just say I had $100,000 worth of um, worth of cash that I wanted to invest into a property, but now I move over to in the, into the private and I'm like, hang on a second, I can make so much more revenue in my business now. Oh, now I have $300,000 I can potentially look at buying a property outright. Then you would have no debt assigned to that. You would have... Um, majority of that would then be 100% profit revenue and extra revenue income stream. So you've got the revenue income stream coming in. Plus on top of that, you've got the capital growth from that property as well. Massive bonus, right? Uh, which you can then, uh, this is getting really, really deep, but if you structure it into certain ways, this is not financial advice, but if you structure it into certain ways into trust, there's actually a hack in the trust sort of world, where if you put four residential properties inside a trust, you can actually start lending. This is in the, in the um, public world. You can then actually leverage the bank's money based off the gross income. This is getting mm -hmm. this is getting deep, but based off the gross income that those four properties under inside one trust are making, then you can then start leveraging the bank's money without you needing an income at all. Right. Most okay. Okay. So my accountant brain now is going. All right. So we can set up a trust, right? Yeah. But we just need to make sure that there's no corporate trustee involved. Yeah. And that the individual, the straw man, is yeah. the trustee. So the ownership still stays yeah. within the crown. Yeah. Because we always want crown ownership, and we want to be able to use our crown standing. Right. Okay. So then, what happens is when you've got your PMA, and then you've got um, the ownership under the crown, because even though you've got a public trust. Right, and it's a say it's a discretionary trust or an investment trust or a unit trust, and it's got these four properties. But your um, crown is a straw man slash crown because we live in the world of duality, with life is death and with darkness is light, and with straw man is crown. It's two in one, right? Wholeness, completeness. We never reject any of them. So your straw man is the trustee, but then you're also over in your PMA over here. Right. So because you have your crown standing in the PMA over here, which has created a whole new jurisdiction, we can actually protect the assets that are in this trust because crown is over here and crown is also over here. And if the government or any public agency wanted to come in and intervene over the dealings that is happening within these properties, we can simply say, namaste the fuck away. Is that also the same by saying I could essentially have the profit, the revenue from that trust and paying into my payment? Well, we could put the PMA as a beneficiary of the trust. Boom. Okay. Right. I love these hacks. All right, right. sweet. Um, and the reason why, just for clarification, the reason why I say four more properties is in the trust public world. Um, there are some lenders. There's not a lot. So in Australia, we have over 440 different lenders in Australia. This is the reason why the broker is the most important person you have on your team. Um, but there are a small portion of lenders who will acknowledge a trust being a business model. They um, will essentially treat that as a business like, a, like in the commercial world. They will treat the trust as like a commercial deal because this is how commercial lending works. It's based off the gross amount, actually, mm. uh, typically. I so want to say, like, I just, sorry, I just want to interrupt. Yeah, We're ahead. so sounding off the cuff with this. Yeah. And making it seem so easy. <laughs> but let's just take a Are minute we? to go. We're making this it sound deep. very easy, but it is deep. And yeah. like like I just wanna I just wanna reiterate the reality of trying to execute strategies like this is not something we can do tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. This is like this is a long game. 
this is a this is a perseverance commitment dedication Mm -hmm. and fully educating yourself around all the elements that you need to Mm. to make something like this work yeah yeah absolutely continue um okay let's talk about the the broker side so what we're working on with my broker at the moment as well yeah yeah okay so for context um actually should provide this context just to let you know my background of where i've where i've come from um i reached the top one percent of property investors in my 20s um and to do that whilst just being a call center worker by the way but anyway (laughs) that's my massive shove it to the man story um and the uh, through my eight years of investing i've gone through 12 brokers and my 12th broker, the guy that I now finally have on my team, he's a real investigator, like the team that you guys have as well yep. on your team. Um, so he's a guy who really does investigation just to try and make sure that, because your broker is the most, think of your broker is like your lawyer for lending, right? It's their job to pitch you to the right bank to get you the most amount of lending, right? So number one, this is the order that goes for for investing, property investors. The most important thing that you actually want, it's not the name of the bank, it's not the interest rate, the most important thing that you want is who's gonna give me the most amount of money, followed by who's gonna give me the most amount of flexibility within the terms and conditions of that loan. That is absolutely critical, right? Then follow the interest rate, then follow the name of the bank, right? Name of the bank, last thing, I don't give a fuck who it is, right? It's 440 of them. Whoever's gonna give me your money, go for it. Whatever the interest rate is, I'll find a property that'll outperform the cost of that property anyway, okay? I love how your brain works. Thank you. So uh, where was I? Anyway, so I've got this broker at the moment who um, has met Abby and he's at, in the mo- uh, at the moment he is investigating of the lenders that he has on his panel who would be willing to lend over in the private world. Private so sector lending. We are. He's investigating. It takes a very long time mm-hmm. because of the language and the types of the ways that you've got to deliver this to the lender mm-hmm. for them to even understand this world. And again, mate, yeah. we're all learning. The banks don't know either, right? Yeah. Um, like, hell, my broker knows more about the the bank's term, their own terms and conditions than the actual bank. banker <laughs> that he has to go to and ask their questions. So yeah. um, it takes a while. Yeah, this so is been worked on. Rome wasn't built in a day, but this is how, like, I always say that um, opportunities will always present themselves and you have to be open to it. And it's mm. because um, we were open to the friendship and the discussions and, you know, it's it's like the flow and effect of all of it. Mm. Um, and, yeah, I'm, I'm so grateful because this is one of the biggest questions that we get asked in the private. Like, people want private lending. People want... They want to know that they can still create, um, you know, they can still buy properties or borrow for properties. Yeah. Um, but I do, I do believe that borrowing can be quite limiting. Mm. And what you mentioned before about creating additional revenue and the ability to create more revenue from the private sector, like mm. to me, that's a no-brainer. So what's a no-brainer? Lending. No, to building revenue streams to oh, yeah. buy the property outright. Yep. Because when you when you buy property and you've got a mortgage on the property, um, that means the bank is on the title and mm-hmm. it's not until you've paid that mortgage out that you then, it switches out and you are on the title. So mm. even though you've got a loan against the property, you don't own it. Mm. And that's the reason why I tell all my clients not to own property to physically own it to be a landlord which is right let's talk about difference between a landlord and investor yeah okay it's just different mindsets right different mindsets. so a landlord 
is like, I am the Lord of the land where oh. I want to control this thing and control the person and everything. No, what you just want to control is the numbers on the outside, right? At the end of the day is the outcome that it's going to produce for you. So for me, I'll give you an example, right? I don't care who my tenants are. I don't care what they do inside the house. It's their home at the end of the day. So I allow it to be their home. I don't want to be involved. The only thing I need to do is pay for the maintenance bill when it comes in and get an email from, from my property manager. That is literally it. But now I can actually control the asset, right? If I want to do a small cosmetic renovation on the property and uplift it to grab more capital, I can do that to any of my properties. I want to add in a granny flat, do a subdivision or anything. So I'm controlling the capital growth and the capital uplift on my properties. The same thing with rental incomes. A lot of people came to me during COVID or where, sorry, when all of the, the rates were going up, right? And everyone's like, oh my God, are you okay, Olivia? All the interest rates are going through. How's your property portfolio going? And I'm like, you know what? It's fine. You know why? <laughs> because of you might have, say, a $2 million, $2 million worth of debt against a home. Let's just say I have $2 million spread against 10 different houses. Or Sorry, let's just say five different houses. That means I've got five different forms of customers, income streams, where all of them I can go to and increase the rent. So guess what? On average, every, what that be throughout the month, uh, throughout the year, average every two to three months, I then have somebody else that I can then put the rent up to, up to the market value. And so the, um, the speed at which the interest rates go up, the, it's relative to the same speed of which the rents go up is relative to the same thing. It's just a couple of months behind. Yeah. Right? So that's just a timing game. So that's the reason why oh, I teach and That's my... why they put so much fear out about it, right? Yeah. They want people to be fearful. Yeah. Like, sure, you, if you have $2 million worth of debt against your home, you as the little minion going to your nine to five job to pay off that debt. Yeah, that's fucking stressful for you. It's not stressful for no me. there's no revenue attached to it. No revenue. Not, not fearful for me, man. I've got five people I can put the rent up relative to inflation. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about that. Um, yeah. Inflation. So... <laughs> Real inflation right now is probably more like somewhere between 12 to 15% right now. So when they calculate inflation, guess what is missing? There are three main key things that they do not measure. It's literally on the bloody website. You can <laughs> fucking see it in black and white. The three main things that they do not include inflation is petrol, oil, housing, including purchase prices and rental and fresh produce, food. So you're telling me the three main things that we need to live for life, a roof over our head, fuel for transportation and food is not included. What the fuck? Not all food, fresh produce. Um, right, because normally inflation is like 2 or 3%. Correct. That's the, the average target, right, is 2 or 3%. So it went up to like 7% 7 was its peak and now it's back down to about 4 I just heard last week for something high for high add 10 plus add 10 of what they're actually not really including so do do the numbers right if you have a hundred thousand dollars of cash sitting in your bank account minus 15 percent. what's that i don't know um 15 000. so that means your money really in 12 months from now will actually the borrowing capacity 85. the buy, buy, uh, buying power of that will be more like eighty five thousand dollars. so you're losing that money so we need to make money that is beating the cost of inflation. So if you're really, and you, actually, here's something else, right? Everyone's inflation number is actually different. So for example, this is getting okay. even more complex now. Okay, I love it. Like, I'm, I'm here with you. Okay. Uh, inflation. Okay. Yeah. 
Everyone's, so, everyone's inflation rate. Everyone's inflation rate is actually different because it depends on the resources that you use in your personal life. Right. So for example, if I have two cars that I have to keep on the road versus you have one car, my inflation rate's higher. Right. Because I've got two. You've just got one. Yeah. If somebody needs to go to has, let's talk to business owners here. If you are a business owner where you've got trades on the road and you're paying for petrol for your staff, right? As opposed to maybe say an accountant working in an office and yes. they don't have fuel to pay for. Yes. Well then of course the trade yes. company guy, yes. his bill is going to be through the roof because now the petrol that wasn't actually the oil that wasn't included in inflation is obviously going to be a lot more for them. Yeah. Right? So everyone's inflation rate is technically different. Oof. So the reason why I know, by the way, where I got the number about 15, 12 to 15% is because me and a bunch of other property guys who are really passionate, we put into a, into, a, uh, into a closed Facebook investor group and we went out to everyone and we said, hey, can you actually tell us your numbers of what you think you're, tell us your actual percentage, go and calculate your uh the percentage increase of your rent, your the value of your properties. Like we know the the we know the average rental yep. increases and, and property growth, right? Yep. Fuck, just during 2021, the average uh, property prices on average nationally go up by seven percent. Literally in 2021, went up by 22 percent nationally. Like fuck, and that one number wasn't included in inflation. Like come on, mm. national increases of prices of rent. Rents normally go up five percent per year. And they've gone up in after, 2021. Like nationally went up 26 percent some people's rent even went up like 50 percent correct and it was a lot of that was in gold coast just to let you know yeah (laughs) right this is why i actually come here as opposed i was going to go like yeah yeah in the canals um so all right so we want to create revenue streams that beat the inflation rate right because this is where the freedom is if if you can create the financial freedom by being ahead of the game, yep. then you're going to create more wealth for yourself. Correct. So during 2021, the peak of inflation, that's when I got rich because it's two birds of one stone for me when inflation hits. So when they print the money, there is a direct correlation, data shows, into property. What happens is my capital growth grows through the roof, goes through the roof, and my cash flow goes through the roof because my, my rents go up. That wasn't my doing. So it's not like my properties magically got any better. I didn't add value to my properties and make them all of a sudden made out of gold. What happened? They just printed money and then I just benefited from it. That was it. That's all it is. And so this is the reason why like property investors benefit from inflation so much, so much. Every single person in my, in my world of property investing, Mm -hmm. we were all like, so I knew this because I've been watching inflation and I watch when they print money. Um, in 2021, when they announced, um, what's his name, buddy, Josh, uh, Fergenberg, whatever his name is. And he announced in March, uh, 2020. And he said, we're going to print exactly $1.1 trillion. He never said the number, but they actually had it in the budget. And he printed 1.1 trillion, just Australia alone in 20, in March, 2020. It actually on average takes about 12 months to hit the property market, 12 months to actually see the, uh, inflation go up and then that's what we call the short-term richness feel that short-term richness is where everyone's just like fuck yeah i feel rich look at my properties have gone up blah 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 right but then guess what happens then another six to 12 months after that that's when the pain of inflation of everything else going up in price actually then hits so it's this real short-term 
12 months print money, 12 months delay to feel rich, short-term richness, everyone goes out and blows all this money because they feel like they've got extra money in their bank account. Holy fuck, six months later, actually everything's gone through the roof, I can't afford anything. So, and then that's when the pain of inflation then hit in 2022. Um, mm. So, and they're not gonna stop printing because we are designed, we live in a Keynesian monetary system. You know what that is? Keynesian, Keynesian. oh. Oh, don't know what that is? No. Oh. Okay, that's a whole entire another. <laughs> I've got a video. I've got Send a... me the video because I talk about like fiat currency. It's a debt-based economy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Is that's that what that? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Debt-based okay. economy, right? So they literally can print that money. And do you know where that money, what that money is backed by? Nothing. Technically, oil right now. Technically, it used to be backed by gold. Oi, I'm gonna learn something else from Abby today. <laughs> backed by our state. Yes. Right. So you yeah. go on to the Australian National Debt Clock, mm -hmm. and that's how much um, the private, the public sector owes the private. Right. So they actually back the money against our estate, mm. our assets. Our interesting. But they actually tell us it's oil. Oil between yeah US to fucking wherever they print. They Natural resource, right? Mm -hmm. So they back the. Okay, store of value. Let's talk about store of value. Store of value is natural resource. Yeah, gold, silver, water, oil. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I think we've got a tribe that we're doing. They want to back water. Anyway, uh, create a currency backed by water. Wow. Yeah, crazy. So natural resources are the store of value, right? And mm -hmm. this is where I always say that, um, you know, the most valuable resource on the planet is human energy. So when you're swapping time for money, mm. you're undervaluing your human energy. And when you can tap into your human energy and create create additional resources for mm. yourself or create additional revenue streams, passive mm. revenue streams, this is when you're using your energy in, in its fullest capacity, right? Mm -hmm. And whenever people want to want to build more wealth, build more, you've actually got to expand that human mm. energy, that capacity to hold more, right? Because you think about, um, you know, I think about back to when I was, you know, starting out and I was making, you know, 20, 30K months. And then now, like, it's a lot more. And my capacity is a lot more as well mm. and the problems i used to have in my business at you know 10k months are definitely not the problems that i have in my business at 100k months just right different so problems. it's different different capacities different energies and mm. i just i think like it can all so be intertwined do you do you see any correlation even though we're we're talking about the increase of the value of your properties because of inflation, but what do you even see as the increase of, of your value in in all of this? Absolutely. The moment that you set yourself free from the attachment of the outcome, the more that your life expands. Yeah. 100%. Direct, direct correlation to my mindset and my energy, bank account shows it. Bank account. So this is where I say like flow, right? Mm. This is your flow. This is your energetic flow. This is your... You know, and flow is like water, you know, currency. The current is the mm. sea, the currency, and we have liquid assets. Like mm. why is all of the uh, terms for money associated with water, mm. right? And where we are 80% water, right? We're the real wealth. We're the true currency. Yeah. We're the true currency, right? So there's... What do you think of the idea that the advantage of your debt staying the same figure, but inflation gives them less value over time? Well, you know how you said the 100,000 in yeah. 12 months would be 85 cash yeah. in bank. So wouldn't the opposite happen to debt? 
Yeah, because then debt just, sorry, debt is irrelevant with inflation. If your main goal is to, we've got to bring this all back to your values at the end of the day, right? If your main goal in life is just to be free and what you need to do that is passive revenue income streams, who cares if I have debt, but I have cash flow, that debt is cash flowing enough that provides me a lifestyle to give me my freedom. Who actually really cares? I'll give you a couple of different examples. Number one, one of my mentors, he owns 250 properties and uh, his portfolio, he has $20 million worth of debt. His overall property portfolio is actually worth 120 grand. Sorry, 120 million, sorry. Yeah. Right? He has 20 mil worth of debt. debt. Most people would freak the fuck out about $20 million worth of debt, but guess what? His cash oh, flow, yeah. ready, is $3 million per year. Why the hell would you worry about $20 million worth of debt if you've well, got relative, $3 million? Right, because the money is relative. I always say, don't look at the numbers, look at the percentages, look at the ratios, because this is where people get so, they think, oh, you know, like, I spent, you know, let's talk about cars, I spent like, you know, $5,000 um, on on fuel this year but then look at that as a percentage to your income yeah. right money is relative and human psychology is we attach meaning to value right but when it comes to the percentage it's a different meaning right so when you have um, look at the debt debt to equity ratio mm-hmm. um, if your debt to equity ratio is like 20 or 30 percent fucking sweet but if your debt to this is what I always look at your debt to equity ratio if it's like 80 percent or a above i think there might be something that needs to shift a little bit there depends how aggressive you are so (laughs) that's really good on that particular topic because i feel safe with property because i absolutely know how to scale my property i'm actually really personally comfortable with a high lvr right Right. a high debt to value ratio but that's because i know that it's going to rapidly come down because you if i say for example at an i'm at a 90 percent lvr right which i'm always stretching up to right but then i sit on it and i'll wait Guess what happens right now? My LVRs have already just by doing fucking nothing for the last 18, 18 months, roughly. My LVRs have gone from 90% and they've dropped. Actually, no, it was 80%. We're from 80% and it's already just under 60%. Because the value of your property. Because the value of the properties go out. So this is where debt is, irre- is irrelevant with inflation. I'm going to give you okay. another really cool example. Ready? My grandparent, everyone's probably got a grandparent here who bought a house, let's just say in the 1960s. My, parent bought, my parents bought a house in the 1960s for seven thousand dollars that same property today is worth 1.8 million dollars it's in melbourne now just hold this thought for a moment imagine the rent that they would have today two months worth of rent could literally just pay off that entire mortgage yeah so that's the reason why me it's a long game for me if you're investing early when it comes to debt you have time up your sleeve This is why compounding is so important. This is the reason why building wealth as young as possible is so fucking critical, right? I could do nothing else for the rest of my life and I'm set right now. I would have cash flows enough to look after in about nine-ish years from now. I've mapped out I will have more than enough cash flow to support me, my partner, and my mum because I need to financially support my mum because she's fucked. Sorry, (laughs) bless mum. So um, point being is that's the reason why debt is relevant with inflation. I personally don't have a plan, it's non-financial advice, I do not have a plan to pay down my debt because over time, all of my rents and all of the values of my properties will naturally go up without me having to pay down a single bit of my debt. It's the reason why I have all my all of my loans on interest. And it comes back to the intention of why you wanna be in property because people wanna be in property for different reasons. Now yes. you're clearly in it 
purely for investment purposes and building that equity and that portfolio and that that revenue i think let's talk into the the dream that we've been sold of owning your own home and living in your own home and and Mm -hmm. wanting to buy property just to have your property and your home like i think there's a lot of people that sit in that space and it's like i feel like that if you're going to run a hybrid model with a public private structure as a property investor, it works, right? But mm-hmm. if it's someone who wants to own their own home, they're not creating any revenue streams because we can protect your revenue streams under your PMA, yeah. right? As we're running that hybrid model. And it's not just the revenue streams that we protect, it's also the agreements that mm. we're going to protect as well. And it's also the operations. Can you and, do that with your home? Can you? Yeah, yeah, you can do that with the home as well. But what I'm saying is like, this dream that people, like I never bought into it, so I just don't relate to it very Mm. well. Um, But it's the dream of, you know, buying a home and living in the home and like. Okay, so let's talk about where it came from. Can you own your first home and build a portfolio? Fucking absolutely. I'd say 70% of my clients do this, right? Mm -hmm. It's just slower, that's it. Just being a rent vester, which is where you you personally rent, where you desire to, to live, right? Um, and then, then you then invest where it's smarter to, to build revenue streams, right? Because then you're less emotional attached from it. So that's one thing. So yes, you can do it. It's just a tool to fast track your wealth a little bit quicker. That's all it is. And rent vesting is not for everyone. Fuck, I get it. Like I absolutely get the emotional attachment. I know that I'm going to one day want a home. I know it, then I'm going to want to settle down, but it just depends on which, again, comes back to your values, which one is more higher. I personally prefer income streams and freedom yeah. to have cash flow coming in, right? Yeah. Rather than me being rent the house of your dreams, <laughs> rent the house of your dreams. Yes. And yeah. okay. Oh, getting into some, if anyone here wants my rent vesting training and I will absolutely just send it to you for free. Cause I've got a whole entire segment on this. We yeah. could, it literally goes for 40 minutes and I don't want to riff off just on that. But where does the original, um, the original, great Australian dream to own your own home. It comes from America, which comes from originally the American banks because they profit off you being your, being the little minion going to work. The reason why it's, uh, it's easier to fast track your wealth being a rent vester by renting is because then you every form of debt that you then have, all the mortgages is then income producing. So it makes it easier for you to get more loans and for you to please the bank moving forward, right? That's mm-hmm. it. So let's talk about then, you know, how this interlaces with the private sector, right? Because I think we already covered it, but it was asked again. So I just wanted to maybe touch on it again. If I'm looking at going private, can you get debt to buy a property? So I did mention this earlier. Um, when you move into the private, you're going to move revenue streams over into the private sector. Now, as a rent vester, if you wanted to move any of those rental incomes over into the private, you potentially can. Um, but it just depends if that's going to then affect your borrowing power. Because when you've got your um, revenue streams in the private, it is tax exempt and self self assessed and tax exempt, which means. The revenue that you're using to apply for mortgages and loans, it has to be assessed, assessed income. So it has to um, be in the public sector. And this is where we can have a hybrid model and you can have some revenue in the public sector and then some revenue in the private sector. And that's what we're looking at because we can actually split your revenue because you then speak to the banks and say, well, how much do you need to to show? Mm -hmm. And then that's what we have over there. And then Mm -hmm. everything else 
is over here. But you did say earlier, like you don't need to have lots of income yes. to borrow. Okay, very good question. Because it's so, rent vesting, right? Because it's rent vesting. So short answer of it is we're looking into it at the moment in terms of can we lend over into the public world. Go back and listen to the start of this live. We talked about it a little bit. Um, and, and all the other option is, is hybrid. So the question is the most important question you need to ask your broker is, Hey, Mr. Broker, how first of actually, let's take a step back. First of all, you need to work out how much do you actually want to start? Or can you start buying investment properties for? I can just let you know now my team on average buy properties between 300 to $400,000. So then work backwards, then go to your broker and say, Hey, Mr. Broker, how much income do I need to pay myself? in order to be able to borrow that much 300 400 500,000. Mm-hmm. That's it, right? Mm-hmm. Because there is an optimal amount of um, money to pay yourself where you're able to leverage enough money but not overpaying yourself too much to the point where like you don't even need to pay yourself and now you're just paying yourself you're paying too much in taxes when you didn't even need to. Mm-hmm. So I'm having the exact same conversation with one of my clients this mm-hmm. morning literally on the car on the way here. She mm-hmm. can borrow $900,000, um, so she overpaid herself a little bit too much working with her accountant. Um, again, that's something that I'm working on with her. And so next year, all she's going to do is reduce that amount down to about $500,000, right? Mm-hmm. So she can still lend $500,000. We're still going to be able to buy properties. So that means in the next year, she can still buy properties between the range of three hundred. dollars So when they do 000. the lending, right, when you're yep. rent vesting, they count the revenue that's expected to come in from the property? Yes, they do. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, very and good. And that's why it's not as important to have higher income correct yes mm. very good because the rent will typically do the rental income will typically do a good 70 to 80 percent of the heavy lifting of protecting your borrowing capacity as right. well right so it won't protect it 100 percent. so say for example i can borrow five hundred thousand dollars now i go out and buy a property and i use up four hundred thousand dollars and if I have a good enough rental yield on that, then my, and I go back to the bank and say, hey, now bank, how much can I borrow? Your borrowing capacity might go from 500,000 to say $400,000, right? Mm. As an example. Mm. Um, so mm. the rental income will do a lot of the heavy lifting if you are buying in areas with high rental yields, which means the rents are a little bit um, higher than average, but a lot of Australians do this silly thing called negative gearing. And that's where oh, 90% of property, bleh. that's where 90% Computer of people, says no. no, we both hate it. I, we both hate it. This is another reason we bonded so well. <laughs> we both hate the matrix and we hate negative gearing. And there's so many myths that people get sold when it yeah. comes to finance, building wealth, accounting properties. Like, and we, we literally, we bond over it. We, 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 it's like we feed off each other's passion, yeah. right? Because we're so passionate about helping hacks. people Truths. hacks, yeah. hacks, yeah, yeah, yeah whatever it hack is. the system, right? So hacking the system, there's two ways you can do it through business, which is what I love to do, or through property, which yeah. is lives. Or just investing lives in general. Investing. And that's a wrap for this episode of Untethered with Abby Rose and Claudine Jane. We are so grateful that you are here and open to educating yourself around your sovereignty. Remember, our conversation doesn't end here. Every Wednesday, we jump on our live in our Facebook group for a cuppa and a chat where we share even more insights and knowledge with you. If you're not a member of our online Facebook community, we would love for you to join us in our space filled with shared experiences and empowering discussions. We've attached the link for this in the podcast description. 
Until, Until next time, time, stay in your power and, and intuition. intuition.